Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Carol D. O'Dell, and our topic is Mothering Mother, Taking Care of a Mother with Alzheimer's Disease. Carol O'Dell is the author of Mothering Mother, a daughter's humorous and heartbreaking memoir. Mothering Mother overflows with biting humor, poignant poignant grace, and much-needed honesty. Carol speaks to caregivers, the medical community, and at Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and hospice-related conferences. Her gripping memoir, Mothering Mother, is for the sandwich generation and those who care for others personally or professionally. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you very much. Carol, it's great to have you on the show, and what an important topic for our audience out there. I know many of them have have taken care of people over a long term, and, and there are a lot of issues involved with that, aren't there? Absolutely. It hits your entire family, your emotions as a woman, as a wife, a mother, a daughter. It just keeps rippling out. And then as you come to the end-of-life issues, it kicks up those, those tender and bittersweet times as well. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk a little bit about your mom and, and some of the experiences that you have in your book. Okay. I was an only child, so I did not have the sibling issues that sometimes arise, but I certainly had all the responsibility issues that arise. And I was adopted when I was four years old, and this was my adoptive mother. And my adoptive dad died when he was 78 years old of heart disease, which is a whole other subject of our men that die way too early. And I became her sole caregiver. And at first, she did pretty well. You know, women in their 70s are still very healthy and vital. Right. But then she was hit with Parkinson's. And still, she did pretty well. Parkinson's meds can definitely control and at least help a lot in the beginning. But then the progression came over time. Can mom live alone? Can mom drive? How much care does she need? What's she not telling us? And so finally, the last three years of her life, I moved her into our home, we built an apartment, and I began to care for her full-time, and in retrospect, realizing that she needed it several years before that. And I was able, at the end, to give my mother a home passing, and we went through all the stages of the end of Parkinson's and the end of Alzheimer's. But it's not that I truly can say if she had continued to live, we would have had to have sought a facility to care for her as well. It's quite a challenge. Now, uh, for our audience that don't know about Parkinson's, could you um, mention a little bit about what that is? It's a central nervous system. Right. It is a neurological disorder, and so really she had two things kind of going on with her brain, put it that way. And Parkinson's usually affects the body and its ability to move. Um, The synapses in the brain do not totally connect, and so there's this disconnect, and it causes brachydosis, which is a difficulty in walking or movement. You oftentimes recognize it in shaking. Yeah, they have an intention tremor, don't they? When they intend to do something, they tremor. Yes. And I, I also know that um, changes in the environment, in flooring, in processing information, causes their, their Parkinson's to, to become worse. Mm-hmm. 
And medication is extremely important, and the timing of that medication is important. So a lot of challenges uh, for people to deal with those, those kinds of issues. Is there guilt later on after, you, after they die about uh, whether they did the right thing or did they pick it up early enough or were they angry? I kind of wonder about sometimes you feel angry at people when they start into the process because you don't know that they have an illness. Right. You know, because she had a mini-stroke and then she was diagnosed with Parkinson's, at least we knew what those things were. I think some of my frustrations that now I look back at, I realize that she sort of had what I, would, what I term as pre-Alzheimer's. There are a lot of indications. Um, sometimes we think, oh, well, mom's always been difficult. But I see in retrospect that things like paranoia, accusing people of stealing from her, being highly anxious, I really do see as a predecessor to my mother's Alzheimer's. And those were the things that I found frustrating then that I now realize had a neurological basis. Mm-hmm. I remember with my mother-in-law, um, I live in Midtown Manhattan, so it's very chaotic. And she traveled. She used to travel with us and come back and see us all the time. She lives in California, and I remember um, she came back to New York and she kept getting lost. And it was so annoying because I'm like, why do you keep getting lost? You know, um, in Manhattan, and it was because she was starting. To, it was the early signs of Alzheimer's, but we just didn't recognize it. I agree. I think that what, when I look back, I realize that I was in denial even perhaps more than my mother was because I didn't want her to need me more. Mm-hmm. I had children. I had a husband. I was very active and, and strong and in the midst of my life, and I realized I, I, too, was in denial. She was hiding things from me. She was making excuses. She didn't know what was happening to her. She just knew that her freedom, freedom would be threatened. Mm-hmm. So for our audience out there um, making mistakes with these people or maybe not being as sympathetic as you could have been looking back is a normal thing, right? Absolutely. I think my first year of grieving after my mom passed away, I had a lot of what-ifs, I wish I had done different, and woulda, shoulda, couldas. But as time has gone on and I have continued to have the privilege of talking and sharing with other people in this field, I've realized that what we really need to give everyone, starting with ourselves, is a big dose of mercy. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that families are truly doing the best they can, and they're under enormous stress, and they love with big hearts, and they're doing everything they can, and they need to realize that that's enough. Mm-hmm. It's okay that we don't figure it all out. It's okay if we got stressful and we snapped. I'm sure that there was enough love to cover it. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a nice thought because I know, you know, there is a lot of... Uh, guilt connecting out there. What about the sandwich generation? Talk about that. Well, a lot of people are facing this for in many reasons because we are marrying and perhaps having children older than our previous than our parents did. So we're kind of wedged up between our 40s, 50s, 60s, still in the midst of either caring for our children or having very young grandchildren. And then the problem is, is that. People are getting, still getting diseases. Of course, cancer is something that hits at all ages, and many other disorders are hitting, especially in your, your 70s, and even it just keeps exponating at your 80s, and 
all of a sudden you realize that, say, if you're in your 50s and your mother's in your 80s, how you're still perhaps working, caring for children or grandchildren, have a child in college or getting married, and all of a sudden you think you're going to have freedom. You think you're going to be able to take those long-waited-for trips, and then mom or dad needs full-time care. And also people are living longer. Absolutely. So, uh, they're getting older, and this is going to happen as, as people age and get older. We're going to see more, more Alzheimer's, I think, in, if they're living into their 90s, et cetera. Or more dementia, yeah. Right. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, yes. absolutely. Well, um, there are some financial issues that can happen, too. You know, you're talking about people taking uh, them into the home, but sometimes maybe, like Heidi, lives 2,000 miles away. But there are some financial issues that can come into play with this also. Absolutely. And yeah. that adds so much stress to family. Well, and one of the problems is, like, with my mother-in-law, she's very physically healthy. We, and we are, right now, you know, it's, like, very expensive, and, and we don't want her to die, but we also have no idea how many years she could live. She could live another 20 years. It is. It's very shocking, to, And I think in some ways, and, and I use humor as a way of sweetness and to break some of the stress in my life. It is such a it is such a tragedy I think that as caregivers and family members who are doing the very best they can and loving and grappling with every decision that it comes down to finances because memory disorder units which are often what they're called for dementia or Alzheimer's or neurological based memory disorder diseases they are extremely expensive. They can run anywhere from three to $7,000 a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are not always covered by your insurance because sometimes they're called non-skilled care, which is just absurd. And, it, and the main thing that I can suggest to people is if there's one reason to go to support groups, if there's one reason to get involved with your local community in this way, it's to find out what your community resources are, how to handle your, your finances, your Medicaid, Medicare issues, your insurance issues. There are professionals out there in the elder care community that can assist you with this unbelievable tangled maze. Mm-hmm. And do plan early and realize that if you ever get a diagnosis of dementia or early Alzheimer's, realize that this may be in your future and begin to talk about it and sort of make plan A, plan B, plan C. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, we've got our audience out there that may have had a family member die of dementia, Alzheimer's. Is there a fear that you will get it? And do you have that fear and concern? Well, well you're adopted, right, Carol? I, I am, but I was in a, a Alzheimer's convention here recently, and a neurologist had everyone. There were about 125 there, and he said, he said, um, if you're 65 years old, he said, I, and he asked for five people to stand up in the room of about 100 people. He said, about five of you, if you, we were all 65, about five of you would have some form of dementia. And he said, now, if all of us were 85 years old. And he had half the room stand up. He Mm. said half of you would have a dementia-related illness. And he looked at the other half and said, do you think you can take care of them? And to, to look at all those people standing up at those faces and realize what profound impact this is going to have on our society because the largest growing segment of our population are those over 80. 
Mm-hmm. And that that visual just hit me. But you, so whether I'm adopted or not is Alzheimer's in my future just out of the sheer number of how right. long will I live? I really did grapple with that. Would I take a test if there were a test to show Alzheimer's? I have to go to a deep place of faith and trust and let it go. Uh, as of right now, you can't prevent it. The best way to prevent Alzheimer's is to not worry, to trust, to be active and healthy and continue to learn and live and love. That's, that's great advice. And I, from a personal perspective, I'm going to say that I like that idea of just giving it up and just you know, really living in the present because my husband is terrified that he is going to get Alzheimer's. And he reads everything that comes up about it and takes Akaberry and all sorts of vitamins. And, you know, he's very scared now that he is going to inherit this horrible disease. So I love the idea of kind of giving it up. Now, I've heard recently, tell me if I'm off, that they are close to getting a test. Is that true or no? That you uh, yes, you have so much research that's going around all around the okay. world. So there's a lot of different, and yes, there are some markers, I would say, that, are, that can be noticed within the brain, especially mm-hmm. as it begins to change. So, yes, there are some indications, but, you know, I mean, we've heard a lot about the law of attraction and the secret lately, and I do think there is a little bit to be said with, with the old saying, as I always heard it, was that which I fear has come upon me. Right. So the more I can give up fear, the more I can let it go. I, I say if I have Alzheimer's, I hope that I will be happy and joyful, and I hope that what, however I am, that my family will love me as is. And I think Maria Shriver wrote a book about her father with that in mind, didn't she? Yes. Saying, yes. love, love I'm, I'm now getting to know a new person, and I'm well, loving and I, that person. And, you know, I finally realized at some point when my mother forgot who my name, started calling me little girl, mm-hmm. and forgot everything, what a phone was, what a fork was, and as her, her capacity kept going, I really sort of looked at her one day and said, that's okay. I can love and I can remember for the both of us. Mm-hmm. Very like nice. That. So have that faith. If you're out there and you've taken care of someone who's had uh, Alzheimer's, you know, or or dementia with high blood pressure and all those kinds of things, um, you know, uh, you get dementia from that also. So uh, having that faith and trust. Um, do you think that the family uh, suffers maybe more than the person who has Alzheimer's towards the end? It is extremely stressful. I cannot, and I wrote very honestly in my book, uh, and I wrote every day, so this book is a real-time book. I literally would change her diaper and go write a paragraph. Mm -hmm. And so, because I did not want to sugarcoat or sentimentalize what we were going through, which I think sometimes we tend to do after a loved one passes, I wanted the truth of the moment to be there so that other caregivers would feel. It's so embarrassing to sit in a room and somebody starts saying all these sweet things and you aren't having those sweet thoughts at the time. Mm -hmm. And you bow your head and you can't tell the truth about your worries and your fears and the things that you've thought and the the thoughts that are going through your head. And I wanted to, to tell those caregivers, it's okay. 
to realize that this is going to take you to your very limits. And, and you're not alone. You you're not back. alone. You're not alone in your thoughts. Other people have had those thoughts too and those feelings. Yes, and you know, and I tell people. It's the apathetic ones, it's the ones who have given up, it's the ones who cannot speak, who do not say how frustrated, alone, furious they are, whether it's with the disease or with death or with the medical community. When you can express anger, anger is actually a healthy emotion. It is not passive. It means that you believe that there's something that could be done about it. What would you do uh, if you'd had a loss of a loved one to um, dementia or Alzheimer's and you feel angry towards the medical community? We've got some of our folks out there that do. What would you suggest to them? Sure, and I had that experience. And, you know, for one thing, it was great to write. It was great to communicate it. It's also really okay to choose your words and to step up and be the advocate for your loved one. Now, you're going around and speaking to the medical community. Yes, I am. Trying to make change. Yes, and I, I I had a particular issue with someone who worked in hospice. And I say someone because it was an individual that I had an issue with. And it was very hurtful and at the very end of my mother's life. And let's face it, we can't all be there and say the right thing and do the right thing every time. And can, you, I talk- can you specifically mention what it was? Because it might resonate or, you know, give us some yes. hint of it. Actually, if you don't mind, I can read just a, a snippet. Okay. Very good. It says, I called the hospice nurse yesterday. I went outside on the front porch to talk to her as if my mother might hear I told her mother wouldn't be with us much longer. What is it exactly you'd like for me to do, the nurse asked. Do? I'm flabbergasted. What is the purpose of your call, she reiterated. I wanted to reach through that phone and yank her up by her purpose and scream, what the hell kind of question is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And, and, I like that. That's very real. Yeah, very. And, you know, I, I, and I have to say, because I was sort of worried about talking out against hospice, because I know how wonderful they are. Mm-hmm. I know how valued their services are, but I want you to know that I work very closely with this hospice organization all the time. I speak at all of their functions. They, they have listened to me. And if I had been the nice girl and if I had kept my mouth and never written these words, I could not help others. Well, change would have never happened. No. And, you know, I've had people who literally, you know, chomped at me for speaking out and saying, how can you do that? They're wonderful. And I said, yes, they were. This just wasn't a wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Right, and the other thing is how can people change and grow and understand what the community needs if they don't hear from the community? Well, and this is, this is what I wrote. I wrote. I wrote down what I needed from them, and I wrote, I want you to tell me I'm doing the right thing. I want you to say I'm so sorry and then be quiet for a moment. Mm-hmm. I want you to have the time to come here and be with me and sit. I want you to not be in a hurry, and I want you to figure out if I need a cup of tea or a hug. I want you to not ask ridiculous questions. I want you to have the common sense and the compassion and the gentleness that ought to be instinctual not only for a woman but for a nurse and a daughter and most of all a hospice caregiver. That's what I want from you. 
Oh, that's that is just excellent. And I, uh, Carol's book, Mother and Mother, Taking Care of a Mother with Alzheimer's Disease, is a wonderful book. Be a wonderful book to give to caregivers, and uh, also you know reading it yourself. And um, it's it's a difficult road, but afterward, after your loved one dies, I think it is great to become proactive like this. We have so many people on the show that, you know, do go out and step out and are proactive, and it changes the world. I think that we've, Carol, you've made some really important points on this show, and I, uh, you know, I want to reiterate some of them about just the idea of having, um, being a little fearful that you might have Alzheimer's when you've had a family member die of it. It's been such a, a difficult journey. You've seen him go through it. And your ideas about having faith and trust and living your life, I think that is incredibly important. And not reading into things. I mean, just because you lose your car keys doesn't mean you have Alzheimer's. Absolutely. And you do. My my memory's not as good. None of, none of my friends' memory is as good, you know, when you get older. But I always feel like I'm kind of sorting through a, a file to find things, and you kind of wait to get the name of something or something. So I think that's just a, a normal part of aging, too. But I know one of the ways that uh, your book is brought out to cope is through humor. And uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, and what's wonderful is now that my mom has passed away, the way that we keep her alive is by telling stories. And I'm so blessed that we're a family of storytellers, and of, we love getting what we call new victims. Is anytime my daughter dates a new boy or anything happens, we have people who haven't heard all of our family stories. And I think that's what, you know, that's what's so sweet is at first it seems painful to talk about someone after they've passed away. Then it becomes bittersweet, and then it becomes sweet. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Yeah. So and there's a really... memory alive. Yeah, there is. And, you know, my mom had a great sense of humor, and she was incredibly fussy, and yet it was a kind of a funny fussy. So, you know, we found ourselves laughing at all the crazy things as well, you know, as as the other things. There's one here that I thought was was pretty cute. Well, for one thing, this is a great story. My mom had as well heart disease on top of everything else. And we were the sandwich generation. My husband was watching my mom so I could take my daughter to swim practice. He calls me in a panic. She can't find her nitroglycerin patches. So I, I drive home. He drives to the swim team so we can double back. And I run into my mom's room thinking she's going to have a heart attack. And I look at her, and she's covered with all these little squares. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, if this is, if this is nitroglycerin, we're in trouble. And she goes, it's okay, it's okay, I found them. And I look at them, and I realize they're stamps. She um. found a book of stamps. <laughs> and she covered herself with um. about... 30 stamps. That is funny. <laughs> and I told her, I said, well, where would you like to go? Because you've got enough postage to go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so those uh, are some of, that's some of the stories. There's, there's one where she loved, even after she forgot all her telephone numbers, she could remember 911, you know, and she called it 911, which is a little prophetic because it was before that event. Mm-hmm. And there's one time where she's calling she's she's calling 911 and I walk in and I and my mother says to me she's back in her little apartment which we built onto our house. And I, she says it's 9 o'clock mother announces as she sets the phone halfway on the receiver. 
I hand her an ice cream bar, her favorite treat, folding back the paper edgers while I consider how to phrase my question. How do you know it's 9 o'clock? Because I called 911. You called 911, I correct? She nods, and they told you the time? That's their job. No, Mother, it's not. Don't call them for that. I'll give you the number for time, but 911 is for emergencies. This is an emergency. No, it's not. You're tying up the line where people could have a heart attack or they could have fires. Those are emergencies. Well, they need to call the fire department, she says. <laughs> I'm living. How long has this been going on? Can they arrest me for what I'm thinking? Can they arrest her? Do not call them, I urge her juror again. Oh, they don't mind. Yes, Mother, they do. Don't do that. Then how do I know what time it is? That's it. <laughs> that's cir- it, it, that that's incredible. Cir- yeah, that incredible circle. Uh-huh. Circling around and around. I remember my mother saying about my dad, uh, you know, and it, it sounds sad, but, but she was kind of amused by it. She said... You know, I, it, it just uh, one minute he knows me, and the next minute he's like, "Now, who did you say you were again?" <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. After all these years of marriage, yeah. but my my my, she walked in when she could still tootle around a little bit. She walked in and she asked my husband. She says, "Where's that girl, Carol?" And my husband says, "Well, Mom, she's standing right here. This is Carol." And she looks at me and she goes, "Oh no, not her. I want the nice one." <laughs> <laughs> all right, the nice Carol. And you've had a few. Uh, Calls from your mother-in-law, right, Heidi? Well, you know, my situation, and I know that Carol can relate to this, is my mother-in-law calling over and over and over like it was the first time and asking yes. how my day is. And the first time I have a very, you know, elaborate response, and by the tenth time I say, well, I didn't do much today because <laughs> yeah. I know she's going to call again. <laughs> and you need something new to say. There's a, par- there's a part where my mother's asking me over and over, where do we live? And we had just moved. I moved her into my home. And we kept going on, and she said, you know, where's your daddy? And I was thinking, no, you mean my husband. I said, daddy's in heaven, but my husband's at work. And she says, where do we live? And I'm like, we live in Jacksonville. You know, your mouth gets real tense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I keep working and I'm cleaning up her room and she says, who are you and where are where are we living? And I answer again and about the tenth fine I look at her her and I say, mother, we live in Crazyville. That's where we're living (laughs) and you're the mayor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to... She actually laughed and that's what I like is she could Mm -hmm. laugh at herself. You know, when you do give a sweet laugh, a, a sweet smile, they, they're so wonderful back. It, it's, it's incredible. But I wanted to um, deal with an email. We have an email here. It's from Wendy from Chicago, and she says, I understood that you were going to have Carol O'Dell on, and you'll be talking about mother and mother. Uh, my mother had Alzheimer's and was institutionalized for three years. I visited her every day. At the end, my brother refused to visit her. I just couldn't understand how he could desert her. I feel really angry with him. Do you have any thoughts? I do. I speak with families all the time, and the saddest part about these diseases and about us living so long is that siblings or family members can have very different opinions about the level or quality of care or how it should be carried out. And I really tell people that you've got to let it go. 
someone has to be the primary caregiver. It usually it's uh, it's the sibling or the child who lives nearby or has some medical training or just happens to be a little more nurturing or is it working at the time and I and I really encourage people that number 1 say before you get ill, before it's too late, write that living will, write the five wishes down, tell people what you want, but then you're going to have to trust. And whoever the primary caregiver is, whoever has stepped up to that plate, has to make a decision and you have to let them. And then at the end, you have to forgive and let go. We've all done the best we can. And unless you want to step up and take full responsibility, you know, it, it's, it's so hard to be there at the care facility and see something that you don't like and have to make a split decision and then go home and feel that you're going to be questioned about it. Mm-hmm. But I tell people, you cannot let disease and death Tear your family apart. Well, you've lost you. You know, you when you lose a family member, you don't want to lose another one. That's what I say all the time. And so I really, and I've told my girls, you know, however I'm cared for. I have three daughters, and people ask me, "What do you want them to do?" And I say, you know, I'm just going to trust that it's all going to work out. Whether I live with them, whether I live in a care facility, whether I'm able to spend my last days in my own home, I have no idea. But I'm just going to trust because I've already invested so much into our relationship. We love each other now. I can't imagine that we're not going to love each other in the future. You know, I'm I'm thinking, uh, Wendy, you know, a mother, my, uh, your mother, I'm sure, when she didn't have Alzheimer's, would, you know, the saddest thing, thought in her mind would have been if you and your brother totally split. Uh, due to her her illness, she certainly would never have wanted that to happen. And I'm kind of thinking, um, I don't know what your thought is, Heidi, but I'm thinking maybe uh, Wendy could actually write a letter to her mother and uh, may, about how she feels about her brother. Or maybe she has a family member or a priest or somebody that she can actually talk to about how she feels and get those feelings out and mm-hmm. deal with those. And one of the things we sometimes suggest is that people write a letter back from her mother you know, right. to her. I highly recommend self-journaling. Yeah. What about, do you have any thoughts on that, Hyde? I like that. I think that this is such a common email. I know with Marcus and his brother that this has been a huge problem because we live so far away. We are 3,000 miles away, and his brother is doing the lion's share of work right now, and he resents it. Understandably so. I have a website that has a lot of information about you and where you are and, and what you can do. Can you give them your website? Yes. My website is www.mothering-mother.com. It has the little hyphen between the word mothering mother. And I also have a blog, and I write daily, and everything from humor to questions to the deepest things that you don't want to admit that you're feeling, I try to cover it all. So, And I am available for speaking engagements and really try to mix in the humor and the sweetness with some much-needed honesty. And also, you have your book. Uh, where can they get your book? It's available, of course, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com, all online stores. It's available in any bookstore, and even if they don't have it in stock, you can order it. So it's widely available, not only in this country, but in all around the world. 
So I, I'm very fortunate because I really wrote this for the caregiver who's going on three hours sleep. It doesn't matter if it's a loved one with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or MS. Caregiving is caregiving. And I did it to allow them to have to honor their own feelings and to realize that they will not only survive but thrive caregiving. Uh, I wanted to uh, follow up on our email on the last segment uh, uh, just shortly about withdrawal. Um, isn't there sometimes some emotional withdrawal uh, on anticipation with death from some family members also when they see a person going downhill, particularly since they may not be recognized by them? Right, absolutely, and you know, I I had to allow everyone, my mother's extended families, my own daughters and husband, I had to let them be where they were and not press this and not consider this a a reflection of their love. Some people cry and wail, other people don't, other people grow close and don't want to leave the bedside, other people have to run away. That is not we should not be judging each other's ability to love. I wanted to deal with another email in connection with that. It's uh, Rodney from Orlando, Florida, and he says that um, I'm 47 years old. My uh, dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease at 55, early Alzheimer's. Uh, I ha- helped to take care of him, and um, he died recently, and I am surprised about how much I miss him. I, I thought it would be a relief to have him finally uh, pass away. I so understand this feeling. I wrote about it. I wrote the whole first year after my mother passed away. I continued to write, and I put it in my book because you are nowhere near through your journey. And I wrote that I felt like my arms just dangled at my side as if they weren't connected. And everything that I thought I wanted to do, I wanted to go to movies, I wanted to go on vacation, I wanted to come and go whenever I pleased, and none of it seemed to matter. And that is an absolutely normal sensation. Was it a surprise to you like it was for Rodney? Yes, it was. And yet at the same time, and other times I would vacillate between an almost mania high of part of it is just an absolute adrenaline jump. I think an adrenaline dump, if I can say that correct. I really believe that the chemicals that just surge through our bodies, everything in us, when it comes to losing a loved one, literally freaks out. Our brain, our heart, our emotions, our senses. I, uh, my sister-in-law said it best after she lost her husband in a car accident. She said, it feels like I took off my skin and put it back on inside out. And nev- every nerve ending is dangling out there, and anything and everything that brushes against me is excruciating. You know, you know, it's incredible to think of that. This is a person who had a long-term illness, and you've been taking care of them. They don't even know who you are, and they die, and you still have that reaction. It is a surprise. You don't know what to do with yourself because all you've done perhaps for years, your thoughts, your actions, your concerns have been circled around the care of another human being. I was you don't even Carol, know. And I was thinking I can understand why your arms were dangling because your arms were used to being filled with caretaking activities. Absolutely. And it and and the thing is is you cannot just go back to who you were 5 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. You are not that same person. You can't jump back into that career, perhaps. You can't just pick up where you took off. You are truly transformed by this experience. But what I want to say is be patient, be tender, reinvent yourself, because you're a better deeper, more profound human being because of what you've gone through. You are not less. You are more. Oh, that's a wonderful, I love that. wonderful thought. Um, you and know, if you, go ahead. I'm sorry. If you don't mind, toward the end, I have a sweet little part about what it's like to come out, uh, to begin to move on mm. through the grieving process when that's time. Why don't you give us that right now for the uh, closing of the show? Okay. Almost a year has passed. I walk to the kitchen, and I see my mother again, clear in my mind. And I don't have to run from her this time. She's holding onto the counter and eating cookies, and I pretend not to notice. What have you got to drink, she asks. Milk? No. Apple juice? No. Sprite? No. I'm getting aggravated. Lately, Sprite's been, Sprite's been tasting like cat pee, she says. <laughs> and I laugh, and she laughs. Coke. How about some Coke, Mother? And I pull out the chair and help her sit down and pour her a glass and take it to her, one ice cube and a straw, just the way she likes it. Give me some more, her eyes tear up, and I laugh and pour her some more. The good times are now beginning to surface. I've lost 25 pounds. I've returned to college. My girls are growing up and really living. And I'm keeping my word. I'm not as manic as I used to be. I don't have as many nightmares, and I don't have to take anything to sleep. I can stay home more now because I don't have to run. But there's not a day that my mother's not here with me, but it's a good here. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's nice. A wonderful closing for the show, Carol O'Dell, and thank you so much for being on the show, and I would highly recommend that you get her book, Mother and Mother, A Daughter's Humorous and Heartbreaking Memoir. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, Thank Carol. You, Heidi. Thank you, Gloria. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.